Hey everybody, welcome to Maniathon here. My name is John Haney. I'm here with Nathan Adam, as always, for our WrestleMania 2 review this time around. So let's not waste any time and get right into this exciting show from three different locations all around Pot- North America. Potentially the most exciting thing in the whole show is Vince McMahon at the start saying, Welcome to WrestleMania. Yeah, that might well I, be the most uh, interesting thing that happens across the three hours or whatever it is. Two hours? Yeah, that's. I think it's three hours. It's. A, it's a. If if it wasn't three hours, it felt every bit of it. This was a long, long night. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you got you got three different locations going on, three different arenas, three different cards, none of which are particularly good. So you you slam three shows together all of which kind of suck, and you're going to have a rough one. With three different announce teams that had no- announcers that had no fucking idea what they were talking about, largely. It sounded like a great idea. Like this like three-way thing across America. I can imagine that in the boardroom they're thinking this is really cutting edge or something. But, yeah, um, yeah it just turns into kind of three hours of mediocrity. Uh, I think they were just trying to to one-up other people, because I do believe that... I think that the NWA had done shows across two different arenas, but nothing obviously... I mean, this is three different arenas on three different time zones all across the country. So, this is is just them basically saying that what you can do, we can do better. And I don't know if they did. Vince McMahon is, I suppose, to get started on the first location... Vince McMahon is partnered by Susan St. James. Yeah, who he referred to as the number one actress in America, which would explain why I've never heard of her. <laughs> yeah, I've never heard of her either. She sounds like a Bond girl. Yeah, I mean, I do believe, I think she was in a sitcom or something along those lines. I've really, even after I looked her up, I still don't really know who she is. In fact, I'm going to have a look at her now. Susan St. James... Uh, something called Kate and Ally. I mean, I've never heard of any of the things that this woman has appeared in. Macmillan and Wife. Uh, that sounds amazing. She was, in, she was in an episode of Suits from five, six years ago. So, and she was in an episode of the Drew Carey Show. So there you go. <sighs> Truly, a, a career worth uh, worth getting invested in. I wonder if WrestleMania Two is in her IMDb credits. Let me go and have a look here. Uh, I can't see it. Maybe it's in appearing as herself. Let me check. 1986. Yep, WrestleMania 2. There we go. So there you go. That's uh, Susan St. James, the number one actress in all of America. Uh, It's interesting to see Vince McMahon. This is his first ever WrestleMania appearance. He was conspicuous by his absence on the the initial WrestleMania show. I love... See him. Am I the only one that kind of thinks that whenever they're um, putting these DVD packages or not DVD, the promo packages together for WrestleMania, they like they kind of work it so that it looks as if Vince McMahon said the famous "Welcome to WrestleMania" line on WrestleMania One. Like they make it yeah. look as if that was the case, but obviously it's in WrestleMania Two. And in true WrestleMania fashion, we open with the national anthem, not sung by uh, Mean Gene this time. But someone who 
Although, like, I didn't know who Susan St. James was, but I did know who this was. It was sung by Ray Charles singing, um, or I suppose not the of national anthem. He was singing the Amer- America the Beautiful. Yeah, um, I, I'm not too sure why WWE insist on not doing the national anthem. They've always done America the Beautiful instead. I mean, it's a better song, but I don't know, it's, it's kind of weird. I guess Vince McMahon just doesn't care for the national anthem prefers this this song instead yes. whatever have you, i mean, think um the best thing about this and i absolutely was killing myself laughing about this was that it ended um the montage when rory charles was singing with all, all these photos ended with a picture of hulk hogan and fireworks going off in the background yes. behind him which is yes. phenomenal that was absolutely i busted and got laughing at that that was fantastic Oh dear! So this—that's that's the only notable part of this opening uh, opening part of the show here. So this, uh, this was in the Chicago Rose Bowl. I think no, no, it well, wasn't. Sorry, it the wasn't. show opened in uh, the Nassau Coliseum. I think it was. Yes, in, and in then Union it cut New York. It cut to um, Mean Gene in Chicago. Yeah, so that that was for a Roddy Piper promo. That was from. Uh, the Rosemont Horizon, I believe is the name of the arena in uh, Rosemont, Illinois, aka yeah. Chicago. It's basically just Chicago, just the same as Long Island's basically just New York. Have, so did back you, and forth. Is there? Did you find anything of note on this Piper promo other than this fantastic quote that he said, "I would never, never would I shave my head like an Indian and paint myself black," <laughs> referring to Mr. T. Uh, there's a lot of racially charged shit going on back in the day with uh, with Roddy Piper. I mean, what WrestleMania was it that he painted himself half black for? Was that Mania three or four? No, what am I, I suppose we'll soon find out. Yeah, I suppose we will. It must have been WrestleMania. Well, it wouldn't have been WrestleMania three then, because that's when he had the match. Uh, yeah, it must have been. No, I don't know actually. I won't say, but I'm sure we'll we'll find out very soon. So yeah, so back to to Uniondale, New York. Here we go to Don Morocco with uh, Mr. Fuji versus Paul Orndorff. So this is the the opening match, and what an opening bite it was. Um, one thing that that I suppose is noteworthy is similar to WrestleMania One, uh, to Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse Ventura, Vince McMahon actually sounds into really enthusiastic on commentary. Um, which is funny and juxtaposed by Susan St. James. She doesn't sound like she cares or wants to be there at all. Um, yeah. Including some fantastic lines such as, he's going to have to do something. Thought he was going to come up with something. What great maneuver. Um, is that Vince? Vince is great maneuver. The rest is Susan St. James. Things uh, like, he's going to have to do something and thought he was yeah. going to come up with something I mean that's Vince McMahon's one of uh, one of Vince's legendary catchphrases is what a maneuver I'm going to be honest here I absolutely adore Vince McMahon as an announcer I've always liked Vince's announcing I mean he doesn't know the name of any of the moves but uh, he knows how to how to get across what it is He's, I mean he's the fucking guy who runs the show so obviously he's going to know how he wants angles to come across on TV so that's that's kind of what you're looking for there he's the one who can Get that, uh, get that message out there. I wish we had him. Uh, I wish we had him back. I mean, he did do announcing for one night, I believe, with uh, with Jesse Ventura for what was that? Two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten. I can't it was even. Two thousand and nine. 
It was when Jesse Ventura hosted Raw, and they had the the Battle Royal. I, f- I forget what the fucking Battle Royal was called. It was basically a Battle Royal of a bunch of guys who had never been world champion before for a world title shot, and Sheamus ended up winning it, and then he subsequently ended up winning the world title from uh, from John Cena later on that month. In the tables so match? Been, yeah, so that would have been, I think, 2009, early 2000, or late 2009, I guess. It would have been December 2009. Um, I'm, I'm going to go back and watch that Raw in the archives. Looking at my notes, which um, don't mean much to me because it's been so long since I watched WrestleMania 2. Uh, yeah. Another cracker from Susan Jane St. James. This is... Um, also, I apologize, but I'm just completely skipping to the end of the match because there's nothing of note here. Um, Nothing happened. She says, this is a phenomenal ending to the match here. Quote, I guess he's declaring himself the winner. And this is as Paul Orndorff is posing. So, you know, I guess he's declaring himself the winner. I mean, the the story of the match was that Susan St. James had absolutely no idea what what she was actually talking about. The match went on for a bit. There was a kinite. There was bullshit chance. And Paul Orndorff wins, so... What what an opening contest that was for WrestleMania two. Way, way to get things off on a good. St- Could you imagine if a show opened up in this day and age like this with just a four minute match that went to a count and nothing happens? People would be fucking shitting on themselves. I'm sure that and rightfully so. I'm sure that crowd was anyway. Well, uh, they, they didn't too sound happy. too happy. Um, after this match, they cut to a pro Mr. T's retort promo. Of um, Roddy Piper, but um, did you notice that the official announcement starts over yeah. his promo? <laughs> I didn't think it was announcing the uh, a double count out. I think, or yeah, so I guess it was a double count out there for the uh, the previous match, and Mister T was cutting his promo while the Fink was talking. So <laughs> it was not the best uh, best logistical plan for the show to do these things from different arenas at different times while on the air here. Probably should have pre-taped this uh, this Mr. T promo and then had the Fink announce the contest was a uh, double count and then go to the Mr. T promo. But I don't know. I guess uh, I mean I can't even believe that Vince McMahon okayed this, being that he was only going to be able to be in attendance for the New York section of the show, which was the show that they did first, not running the show there from Chicago or maybe he flew to L.A. during the Chicago portion of the show. I don't fucking know. But I'm kind of surprised that a control freak like Vince McMahon would allow that to actually happen. Um, I mean, I'm sure he was backstage during the New York section of the show. That's probably where they had the uh, the live broad or the broadcast basically running from. I assume. Yeah. But, uh, yeah I'm um, sure he wasn't too happy about all these these technical snafus. They kept cutting back to Vince and Susan St. James as well to converse and. It's just so awkward he's hearing Vince McMahon. I wonder if Susan even knows that Vince McMahon is the owner of the company. <laughs> I mean, like, it's not like it was... I mean, it was obviously acknowledged back then and people knew that, but it was never acknowledged on the air. And I don't know if Vince McMahon came up there and said, hey, I'm, I'm Vince McMahon, the owner of the entire company, because he's a fucking... I mean, to the un- untrained observer, he would just look like a lowly announcer. To the uninitiated, to quote um, Raz Al Ghul. Yeah. But um, someone who definitely um, got his initiation into WrestleMania was um, one of the one half of uh, the next match, which is between George the Animal Steel and the Macho Man. 
It was for the IC title. first WrestleMania appearance. Um, the Macho Man Randy Savage. It was great. Like it was great seeing that, and the crowd loved Miss Elizabeth so much. Yeah, yeah. Liz has always been uh, been very popular, obviously, and just like uh, Liz is over, the Macho Man is is hated by all in this uh, this arena here. It was pretty. It was pretty good to see Macho Man out there doing his thing. Even if it was against George Steele, it wasn't. It wasn't a great match. Obviously, Savage would go on to have a bit of a better match the next year with Ricky Steamboat. But I mean, you know, it's just there's something nice and cozy about watching a Randy Savage match. Yeah, well, it was. I'm sure he didn't feel nice and cozy when George the Animal Steel bit his leg. Um, yeah, which is part of the part of what happened. Uh, there had this recurring thing going where George Elmo Steele was like in love with Miss Elizabeth and she yeah. kept distracting him. Um, Macho Man would go under the ring apron and stuff, run out the other side. Uh, kind of a lot of back and forth. Uh, did you notice uh, near the end of the match, Macho Man hits George the Animal with um, a bouquet of flowers? Yeah. Which someone had sure. given to Miss Elizabeth. Yeah, that's right. I'm honestly kind of surprised that didn't result in a disqualification. Yeah, but I guess the referee was very, uh, very lenient. I mean, what if George the, the animal steel had hay fever like me? I would, I, if that was me, I would be fucking on the floor rolling around in agony at that point. But I if guess, your opponent uh, dies, does that right? count as a win for you? I don't know, or does no contest or something? I don't know. Uh, I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of jokes I could do there, but I'm gonna not say anything here um, uh, yeah let's uh, let's not get into that uh, so yeah we got uh, I mean Susan St. James was absolutely non apologetic for her complete bias towards George the Animal Steel here in this match completely burying poor Macho Man and, and I mean she... like you know rightfully mm-hmm. so because Macho Man was a bit of a dick he was um, coming up near the end of the match um George the Animal Steel bites the top turnbuckle and he opens it. Um, and then, this is the weirdest thing, this was like coming up to the end of the match, they didn't even use the turnbuckle spot to end it. Like, yeah. like Macho Man didn't even hit um, George Steed's face off the turnbuckle or something to win, he just rolled him up and used his used feet on the rope for leverage and for the 1-2-3, they didn't... Uh, they didn't even use the turnbuckle spot after making such a big deal of him ripping it open and stuff. Yeah, but that was just his gimmick was that he would eat the turnbuckle pad. So, I mean, I'm pretty sure he just did it in every match, really. One thing I was completely blown away by was the fact that fucking George Steele, of all people, kicked out of the, the driving elbow. <laughs> I was blown away by that. I honestly genuinely did not expect that at all. I completely forgot that randomly George Steele kicked out of the elbow. Because that elbow was a pretty fucking protected finisher. Back in the day, I mean, every finisher was called a finisher for a reason. That Because that was supposed to finish the match. But I guess uh, guess George Steele's got to look strong there. You better believe it. And then he, he goes nuts at the end, of the end of the match after Macho Man gets the win there and retains his Intercontinental Championship and retains Elizabeth, I guess. Yeah. Um... I'm surprised they didn't put her on a pole for this match. We're not I Vince guess, Russo. Uh, Vince Russo was uh, working at a pizza peaches joint at this point um, he probably was at the show actually yeah that's a fair point he might have been there 
Uh, next thing that happened, they went to Chicago for a promo from Big John Studd and some Atlanta Falcon player. I don't know. Um, not them note there, but back then, um, NYC and Jake Roberts versus George Wells and uh, another WrestleMania debut here. For George Wells? Well, for Jake Roberts. <laughs> Although, you know, yeah. I'm partial to it of George Wells. Of course, the legendary George Wells here did not uh, look too great in his WrestleMania debut against Jake the Snake. Um, it was quite a quick-paced opening. Um, yeah, to, to the he match. busted a pretty pretty nice looking flying head scissors there at the start of the match, and then of course, like Jake the Snake just hit him with the DDT and put the snake on him, and that was pretty much it. Yeah, the whole thing took about five minutes at the most. Um, then they cut to L.A. where Jesse Ventura. <laughs> Was interviewing Hogan. Um, nice to see. Both him. these men were on cocaine. <laughs> no denying it. Nice to see them planting the seeds about the ribs. Um, Ventura talking about Hogan's injured ribs and stuff. And uh, this was this was the best thing ever. Of uh, you know that stage where your face says really heelish things. There's a stage where Hogan says, and I quote, "I don't care what you think, Ventura." You're being paid to ask questions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, now, if that's not a heel line in a promo, I don't know what is. Uh, but uh, sure, you know, Jesse and Hogan were always at each other's throats. Um, so, I suppose we're, we're back to NYC again. Um, Joan, Joan Rivers, Darl Dawkins... Cab Calloway, Gordon Liddy, her Gordon Liddy, of all people to be involved in these <laughs> these matches. Who the fuck is her, by the way? I, I don't know. I thought it was something you put on your food to taste it, but you know. <laughs> like I mean, I have a very tertiary knowledge of who. I don't know who Daryl Dawkins is, but I know who Cab Calloway is, and I know who G Gordon Liddy is for some reason. I have absolutely no idea who Herb is. <laughs> I know who Joan Rivers is, at least. Yeah, well, that's and, the only uh, one I knew, Joan Rivers. Um, and they all came out randomly, because it was the main event of the New York part of the, the show, I suppose. Um, Do you know who G. Gordon Liddy is? No. Who? Uh, he was a an American lawyer, and he had something to do with uh, Richard Nixon. I think he was... Uh, didn't he get convicted of... Uh, of a bunch of illegal shit for the whole Watergate scandal. I'm pretty sure <sighs> no that he was heavily involved in that. Um, yeah, so I did, I'm pretty sure he went to jail for like fucking a long time. I, I think uh, Jimmy Carter let him out a wee bit early though. So I, I, I think he got like he got like at least a 20 year sentence, and then I think Jimmy Carter let him out after like 10 years or something like that. So I mean. There, that's the sort of person that they're getting involved here. <laughs> Some star power, you know, because you need oh, yeah. a lot of stop star power whenever you've got um, Roddy Roddy Piper and uh, Mr. T in your main event in boxing. And G. Gordon Liddy, of course. Um, and what about... And, uh, uh, and Herb. And, well, although I might yeah, G. Gordon, G. Gordon Liddy's still alive, so he could make another appearance at WrestleMania. I have no idea who these up. people are. So I was just glad that when Joe Frazier came out, I knew who someone was. 
Smoking Joe. Smoking Joe was coming out to accompany Mr. T. Um, I wrote in my notes, shouldn't they have put this match in Chicago as that's where T is built from? Like Probably, but I guess you gotta give a big main event to the uh to the New York crowd. And also they already had the Battle Royal slated for Chicago because they got uh, a bunch of football players and they had William the Refrigerator Perry in there who's from Chicago. So well Suppose fair well, suppose, uh, Mr. T is over everywhere. He doesn't need to be. I mean, if you put William Perry and and the Battle Royal in New York, William Perry is not going to be very over because it's fucking New York. But if you put Mr. T anywhere, he's going to be over. So I suppose I guess it's understandable. That's what they were thinking. Yeah. Um, great commentary from Vince. He's talking about Mr. T and he talks about his peekaboo style. Yeah. There was, were a lot of people out during this match as well. They had Joe Fraser, Bob Orton, fucking everybody else under the sun. There must have been about 30 fucking people around ringside for this match. It was a mess. Yeah. Um, and this match you, sucked. Yeah, it did, but do you know what? There was something I really loved. Like, There's just something amazing about Roddy Piper. Like, in between rounds, going over to Mr. T's corner to talk trash... And like, yeah. I just love how they they did stuff back then. Like, fucking Bob Orton throwing water at Mister T when he's in his corner. Like all this like cheap stuff is just so great. Um, I suppose the only thing to note is in in round uh, round round two, three, I think, or is it two well, that the, the round two Mister T got knocked down and he got up by eight. Yeah, round three T knocks down Piper. Mr. T looked completely exhausted. And I don't know if he's just a great actor, because I really don't think he is. <laughs> but he looked absolutely, completely drained. By the by the third round of this, he was absolutely gassed. But yeah, he knocked uh, Roddy out of the ring. I mean, I don't know much about boxing, but surely if somebody gets knocked out of the ring, that must be cause for a disqualification or, I don't know, a no contest, right? <sighs> God knows. I don't. I don't believe anybody's ever been knocked out of the ring during a boxing match that I've ever seen. I think Mike Tyson done it a few times, didn't he? he I was, really like, don't know. Killing people um, <laughs> back in the day, biting people's ears off. Well, something that did result in a, like a disqualification was um, Raleigh Piper throwing a chair at Mr. T, and that's how the match ended. He threw a chair, and then there was a bit of a slugfest. Um, Piper slams Mr. T. Um, yeah. So your main Give event, body slam. your main event ends under disqualification. Great. Yeah, and there was a <coughs> a big old melee going on, as uh, Vince McMahon likes to say. Uh, I mean, this kind of had to go to a main event because neither one of these guys was losing. Mister T's not coming in to lose, and Roddy Piper was absolutely not going to put over Mister T. So this is kind of. I mean, this is what happens when you book yourself into a corner, and you kind of have to just give everybody a fuck finish so I mean Mr. T won by disqualification so there's that fantastic um, shall we move swiftly to the Rosemount yeah let's get on to the, uh, the Chicago portion of the show where we're joined by Gorilla Monsoon Gino Gerland and uh, Kathy Lee Crosby I don't know who <laughs> Kathy Lee Crosby she's is she's an actress apparently I checked this oh, of course she is apparently anyway um, yeah 
This portion of the show opened with Velvet McIntyre, and uh, I thought it was Mula, Mula was the champion. I said, I was like, really great opening, such a quick-paced match, and then I was like, oh, <laughs> okay, because it's over, that's why. Yeah. Um, uh, Velvet McIntyre misses a splash, and Mula wins, and that's it. Yeah, that's Although, a, a slight caveat, I suppose, is um, Velvet McIntyre's foot was on the rope. Whenever yeah. the ref counted the three, man, maybe they're they're going to do the re uh, the rematch one of these days. Um, get around it soon. Whoever the the ring announcer was for this match or for this segment of the show is is a guy called Chet Kapok or Kaipok or something like that. He sounded like he was on many different diners. <laughs> He could not have had less enthusiasm if he tried. He sounded like fucking Chet Cheddarfield from, uh, from what do you call it, fucking Southpaw Regional. Re- In fact, that might actually be his namesake. That might be where the name Chet Cheddarfield comes from, from uh, Chet Kaupik or Kaupik or Kopik or Copacabana or Colt Cabana. I don't know. Who anyway, knows? up next we had a, a wonderful match here, a flagged match. I love Nikolai Volkov so much. Yeah, I also love the Iron Sheik, uh, but we'll get to that. Nikolai Volkov sings the national anthem. I love how much booing he gets. It's amazing. Um, Easy, uh, easy, cheap heel heat. Classic heel heat. It's brilliant. Um, Some great commentary on this as well, including stuff. Gorilla Monsoon said, if Volkov loses, he'll have to spend time in Serbia. Um, and then Mean Gene, of course, with his snipe comment saying, the party won't like that. Throwing to, uh, reference to obviously the Communist Party uh, or whatever. Mm. Um, did you notice that, uh, Corporal Kirshner, or whatever you pronounce his name, there's Corporal a stage where, where he throws the referee and he doesn't get disqualified? Why doesn't he get yeah. disqualified? Uh, I don't know, because it didn't suit that match. It's a flag match of the referees, American, so I'm sure he wants to uh, to see his home country get the big win there. Obviously, it's those damn cheating American referees that just let things slide like that. Of course. Did you notice, um, accompanying uh, Volkov, uh, he didn't come on his own to the ring, did he? Oh, Nikolai Volkov? Yes. Yeah. With classy Freddie Velassi. Of course. And did you notice the stage where um, he was taunting Kirshner and said, get in there, you yellow dog. <laughs> this was a fanta- This was amazing. Get in there, you yellow dog. Phenomenal. Classic. Classic. Uh, uh, classy Freddie Velassi there. And he ended up throwing in the cane, which Kirshner caught. Got the uh, got the big win there. Um, main God event. America, everyone. Main event of the, well, yeah, I guess this is the main event of the Chicago portion of the show was a big fucking battle royal. 20 man battle royal. Which was called by Gorilla Monsoon and Ernie Ladd, and Kathy Lee, of course, was there as well. Uh, yeah. Um, they introduced some old lady, Dick Butkus, and someone called Too Tall Jones. I don't. I don't know who any of these people are. I mean, these are celebrities. Like, these are these are like C level celebrities of 1986. So, obviously, we're not going to know who they, any of these fucking guys are, except for G. Gordon Liddy, of course. But uh, we've got 
NFL guys, WWF guys, and there we had... I mean, I, I wrote down some names here, just off the top of my head, if he was in this match, because uh, I completely just didn't care that much to write all of them down. Uh, we had Bruno in there. Uh, he the came into a great ovation. Yeah, of course. Uh, Bret Hart, uh, Jim the Anvil, the Killer Bees were in there. Uh, Bruno, I, I don't know why I wrote Bruno's name twice. Uh, Big John Studd, The Iron Sheik, Pedro Morales, Hillbilly Jim, bunch of other guys in there. That was the main main crop that we had in there. Of course, you didn't and name of course, the winner. Uh, Andre the Giant. Yeah. Um, who goes on to win? I think during this match, someone said, I forget if it was Gorilla who said this, somebody said that this is the most dangerous type of match in wrestling. I have absolutely no idea how this could possibly be the most dangerous type of match in wrestling. I guess unless you get thrown over the top rope and roll your ankle. But other than that, I really can't imagine. I mean, we had a fucking cage match later on on this same show. (laughs) So I have no idea what the fuck these guys were talking about. But yeah, I mean, you know, it was just a battle royal for a long time. Not really that much happened in it. Big John Studd took out uh, William... Refrigerator Perry and uh, Perry, ever the the gracious loser, decided to yank Big John out of the ring. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, that was very nice of him to do. And then it just came down to basically the Hearts versus Andre, and Andre got rid of uh, got rid of Brett and Jim the Anvil and won the Battle Royal. Uh, Pretty standard fare. Um, in New York City, they cut to New York with an interview with Piper. Um, Piper says and. Great quote again from Roddy Piper. Fraser never looked better than in a kilt. Uh, yeah. So that's pretty good. And then it was really weird because they announced the Battle Royale as the main event of the show in Chicago. But then they went back to Chicago and uh, luscious uh, Johnny Valiant was with Greg the Hammer Valentine and Brutus Beefcake, who was a tag team champions, who faced the British Bulldogs accompanied by Ozzy Osbourne. So, I guess the, yeah, was Aussie the main, and, event, uh, main event then? Or, I well, I mean, it was built as the main event. I don't know why they put the tag team title match on after that. I mean, it was probably a good move, because this was far and away the best match on the show. Yep, across the three shows. Across all three shows, this was... I mean, it was a good, very good match on its own, but I would dare say it's the only match on this show that would get more than two stars. Because this was a pretty top-to-bottom wretched show. This was a very good match, and they had... Uh, so, yeah, like you said, it was uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine, Brutus the Barker Beefcake with uh, Johnny Valiant versus the Bulldogs, Dy- uh, yeah, Dynamite Kid and uh, the British Bulldog there with Ozzy Osbourne and Captain Lee Albano. And the uh, the Bulldogs ended up winning the tag team titles. Very good back-and-forth match. Yeah, I mean... Um, there's yeah. not really anything to, to talk about during the match because it was just it was all action really for the whole thing yeah it was just really really good I suppose the only thing to comment is the crowd were loving Davy Boy suplexes yeah um, absolutely that, something I comment here I don't know why I've only commented on it at this stage but I just wrote the ring seems very springy like I said the bodies really bounce after the suplex I think they showed a replay or something and like the bod- yeah. their bodies really bounce like N- nearly like a foot off the the canvas, you know, once they hit. Yeah. So, I don't know if the ring's just very springy or whatever. Um, 
looks good though. Yeah, it looks really brilliant. Um, I like again how they call the match in this. Like Gene was annoyed. Mean Gene Ogren was annoyed at uh, Dynamite Kid because he's after a near fall because he said it's fundamental. He did not hook the leg. You know, so it's nice for them to actually call things in the match. Um, yeah. You know, I guess I guess they're trying to put me. the uh, the bulldogs down as cocky there. Yeah. Maybe. Um, there was a pile driver in this match. Mm. Um, which always... Jeez, that looks nasty. Like, pile yeah. drivers really look nasty. But, yeah, great back and forth match. And, um... Brilliant. The, the, the Bulldogs win. The crowd erupts. And um, off we are to Los Angeles for the final part of WrestleMania 2. Yeah, so we go to the Los Angeles portion of the show here called by Jesse Ventura, Lord Alfred Hayes, and Elvira. I need to search who she was. Apparently she's like a gothic actress. Uh, Elvira is one of the ones on the show that I actually did know. She's basically a ripoff of fucking, what was her name? She's just basically the same gimmick of Vampyra from like I guess many many years before Elvira was a thing you had Vampira who was just basically a TV host who would play like cheap horror movies on the show Elvira had kind of the same thing but she was kind of a different character she was a lot less she was like made up to look gothic but as you see during the show she doesn't really act particularly gothic she just she sounds like a normal lady yeah. I guess that was her, her comedy gimmick there. And the first and, time you get to hear it, this um, lovely woman commented is during Hercules Hernandez versus Ricky Steamboat, which opened the Los Angeles portion of the show. Elvira continued the tradition as well of having absolutely no idea what it was she was talking about. <laughs> I mean, they bring in three women for this show and they couldn't find a single one of them that was a wrestling fan or knew anything about wrestling at all. I mean, for goodness sake. Like, that, that, it's, is it that hard? I guess it would have been hard. Well, she did come out with some brilliant stuff. Like, I love to pose, but Hercules Fernandez better try to finish it. Yeah. Per I suppose Hercules that's kind Hernandez. of related, in a way. It's better than the other two, I suppose. Um, the crowd were loving Ricky Steamboat's leapfrogs. It's just funny seeing how into the crowd are, how the crowd be so into some things that we kind of take for granted now. Of course, and Ricky's the Dragon Steamboat ends up winning the match with a, a death-defying leap from the top rope. Crossbody for the cross win. Body. Just did a crossbody. Did you notice that there was a good few empty seats during the I match? Was, I was literally just about to say the arena looked completely empty. I think they just kind of pulled back and showed like a, a further back shot, and it looked like there was maybe about three or four hundred empty seats. In the first couple of rows, it uh, looked not particularly good. I don't know how, I don't know, what's the capacity of the stadium? I don't know, but it definitely was not full. No, absolutely not full. But, I mean, you know, I, I guess, uh, which is Maybe weird as well, because this was the um, show that had Hogan they weren't and uh, Bondi on it. This was the portion of the show. Because they didn't want to see Adrian and Adonis with so Jimmy Hart versus Uncle got Albert. fed up and left. I really don't know how this works. The Did they match? see the other? Like, I mean, I don't know if they had like a screen up in the arena that showed the first two parts of the show, or if they were just kind of told, "Here's your start." Like, because who would even show up for a show that only lasts an hour? Well, they obviously weren't that interested in seeing Adrian Adonis with Jimmy Hart versus Uncle Albert. 
But I can't even imagine why. Like, I think that's worth the fee alone. Never mind the other fifty minutes that you're gonna. Of course, you're gonna get. Yeah, so you got a, a giant gay man versus a giant <laughs> hillbilly. Adrian Adonis was quite an athlete. He was bumping around like a madman. And of course, uh, Uncle Elmer ended up falling on his fucking ass. Not quite as as good an athlete as Adonis was. Yeah, I've, I love Lord Alfred Hayes' commentary, by the way. Um, there was a stage where um, Uncle Albert rips off Adrian Adonis' dress, and Alfred Hayes comments by saying, Albert has had enough of that finery. Gonna show him how Country Boys does it. Hmm. I wonder if they're trying to send messages there. This is very subtle. This is like a, a some kind of metaphor now for how he, uh, the world is in this day and age. At least in America. But yeah. So somewhere in all this, I think Adonis ended up getting caught in the ropes. When was the last time someone was caught in the ropes? <laughs> Has anybody done that spot since Andre the Giant died? I guess maybe Big Show got caught in the ropes at some point. Surely in the last 20 years. But yeah, you had the had all this. Adrian Adonis ended up winning with a splash from the top rope. Pretty, yeah. pretty standard uh, stuff here. Elvira's a, commentary: "Shame a man that size suffers so much pain." And then I think Jesse Ventura said something along the lines of, "He's a wrestler, and that's what he's here for," <laughs> which is kind of a a little bit disturbing. But you know, uh, we won't uh, harp on about that. I mean, Jesse was one of the good guys. He was the one who actually tried to start a wrestlers' union until Hulk Hogan ended up uh, tightening on him. But yeah. Well, talking of Hulk Hogan, be... um, they cut to uh, Hulk Hogan and Lord Alfred Hayes promo. They're kind of emphasizing again that Hogan is not one hundred percent fit and all that sort of stuff. Um, also, one hundred percent confirming that Hulk Hogan was on a lot of cocaine. <laughs> He was going completely buck mad. Started doing fucking... Did he start doing chin-ups? With yep. the weight belt on? While yep. he had quote-unquote busted ribs? <laughs> while Mean Gene was interviewing his doctor. And being like, do you think Hogan's alright? And the doctor's like, absolutely not. Maybe he's, 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 not, he's not kidding. He's not kidding. No. I mean, like, you know, hey. Hogan, he'll, he'll go in there and give it his all, but... Yeah, We've, uh, there was a match as well here with uh, the Funks versus Junkyard Dog and Tito. Terry won after a microphone shot, or a megaphone shot, because they were managed by Jimmy Hart, and there were bullshit chants after the match. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that was that was great. Anyway, so let's get along to the main event here. No point in harping on forever about the, uh, the Funk brothers. Yep. So, uh, Hulk so- Hogan... Versus King Kong Bundy in the blue bar steel cage for the WWF World Heavyweight Championship. What did you think? Uh, I didn't think a whole lot. Like it was a lot better than WrestleMania One's main event. Um, <sighs> but do you know what? There, there's, there's parts about this match that I really like. Yeah. Like. Um, I was pleasantly surprised by it. Um, I enjoyed the match. Uh, Hogan, you know, chokes Bundy with his strap. Uh, um, the crowd are loving Hulk Hogan, but no, I liked the match. Uh, King Kong Bundy works over Hulk Hogan's ribs a lot. Um, 
he chokes Hulk Hogan with tape. Like, yeah, I'm I'm more than happy with this match. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not hard to see why Hogan was so over because you watch this show for three hours, and I mean, you have a lot of charismatic people on there. I mean, a lot of them are playing heels. You have like Macho Man, who's probably the only person who can rival Hulk Hogan in terms of charisma, and they have him playing a bad guy. So it's not hard to see what uh, what was going on here. Hulk Hogan was just so incredibly over anytime he came out he was just he just brought the atmosphere he just he just made things feel like a big deal even if it's a completely garbage steel cage like cause it still feels like a big deal just because when he comes out you know you just you just feel it yeah, it like just feels like a like something big is about to happen Hulkamania is running wild um but not King Kong Bundy well not at um not at uh, every stage um, because Bundy, of course, ties Hogan to the cage and all that. Um, I had to laugh whenever Hulk Hogan is choking King Kong Bundy and Alfred Hayes defending Hogan by saying, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And uh, Ventura, Judge Ventura just replies expertly with, what else can I expect from an Englishman? Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Uh, but King Kong Bundy hits the avalanche, um, and he nearly makes it out, but of course Hulk, uh, Hulk makes it, um, saves it, um, but he gets, Hulk gets hit with two avalanches. Yeah, two avalanches, and I believe the second one, Hogan completely no-sold. <laughs> he gave him a scoop slam, a leg drop, and left the cage, and that was all she wrote there for... King Kong Bundy. After all that work and over he did, he all it took was a leg drop to put him down from the Hulkster. And then he throws Bobby Heenan into the cage. Yeah, and then Hogan takes oh. Bobby Heenan into the cage and beats him up for a little bit. What a happy ending. I suppose it's one of those awkward things where, you know, like I get why they're trying to emphasize that Hogan's injured. You know, trying to put that seed of doubt in his mind about him not being 100% fit, but maybe this is really cynical, but you know, Coming out after WrestleMania, then, like you said, it kind of links to what you were saying about King Kong Bundy working him over and then a leg drop, and that's it. It's like King Kong Bundy, like he looks like he sucks because he's fighting a a guy that's not even hundred percent fit, and he yeah. still loses. You know, um, I remember you once said, and um, maybe this is naive of me because it's obviously a bit different time period, but. That whole thing about, you know, Paul Heyman's version of of building up a match where you build it so that when you defeat the guy it's such a big deal. Yeah. Rather than Triple H's mantra, which I suppose he's slightly different now, but his mantra of old in which he would just um belittle guys. So that if you did lose to them, then it's like you're flipping losing to a chump. While at least if you build him up and you lose, then it's like you're losing to a a great athlete or whatever. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think it's just kind of a case of, it's just, you know, the happy ending that they needed to do. Obviously, King Kong Bundy was not winning the championship from Hulk Hogan, so you gotta, you gotta just make people think that King Kong Bundy's in with a chance, otherwise, people, people are not gonna give a fuck about this match. And people want Hulk Hogan to win, so, this is back in the day when you can kind of get away with that whole superhero thing. This shit's not going to fly anymore with, like, Roman Reigns getting crippled by Braun Strowman and then, you know, fucking beating Braun Strowman and 
leaving them laying and all this shit. That's that stuff's not gonna kind of cut it these days. But I mean, you know, back back in the day, people people legitimately liked that. They wanted larger than life characters to come back from the dead and defeat the evil villains. But yeah, it's it's two different generations here, like you said. So. Um, I guess you could just get away with this whole thing back in back in 1986. So just to be, um, I suppose, finishing up pretty soon with this episode of Maniathon, uh, what's your overall um, impressions of WrestleMania 2? An improvement upon um, the inaugural WrestleMania? I mean, it's kind of similar to the first WrestleMania in that you get a lot of bullshit that doesn't really go anywhere and is not particularly interesting, but it doesn't have any of the historical significance that the first WrestleMania did. Couple that in with the fact that it feels a lot longer and the the, the even more blatant fact of the fact that they completely fucked up everything possible going on with these uh, these three time zones. It felt like, I mean, there's a lot of different stuff that we didn't even cover in terms of glitches and you know logistical nightmares and things that were going on. I, I mean... It was a complete... I mean, it's an entertaining catastrophe from, from start to end and bringing in announcers and celebrities that have absolutely no idea what the <laughs> fuck they're doing, having matches just end on double DQs or double countouts or countouts <laughs> or bullshit finishes every single fucking match nearly. But yeah, I mean, overall, it's... Like I said, it's just kind of there. It's just... It's a bad WrestleMania. It's probably one of the bottom ten WrestleManias of all time. Yeah, I'd, uh, I'd probably agree you, with that. Would you co-sign that? I would, yeah, I'd agree with that. I suppose the only yeah. things, the only positives are the few great heelish things that happen that uh, kind of keep you entertained. You know, Volkov singing out of his long anthem, you know, Piper and uh, Bob Orton up to their antics, which are far more interesting than the match. Of course. Uh, but, yeah, um, overall, like, I won't be going back to watch WrestleMania 2 anytime soon. I'm probably going to give this one a miss the next time I, I go through them, which will probably be never again. But, I but, mean, you know, we got the, we got our word cut out first, so the next episode we've got is WrestleMania 32 from uh, Dallas. AT&T Stadium, Dallas, AT&T Texas. at Stadium. Allegedly 100,000 people in the building. I was there and I counted them, and I don't think there was a hundred and. 101,000 or however many they said. But 103. Was it 103,000 they said? That was their... Um, that's what they stated as the attendance. Well, I mean, you know, we'll see about that. I, I guess because like, they could just get away with that. I suppose it is conceivable, is it not? Because I suppose if you think of AT&T Stadium, the kind of capacity of it... I'm actually searching it right now. The capacity of AT&T Stadium yeah. is... Um, the capacity, you see, it says here is 100,000. So, I mean, uh, it is conceivable. I just, from what I've heard, it, the number that they announced on TV is including staff of the building, ticket takers, security cards, hot dog salesmen... I don't know, every, everybody who was there, not just uh, paid attendance, which I suppose, is what you kind of assume they mean I, when they say 103,000. I suppose the thing is, is uh, it's difficult to count because it's 80,000 seated in terms of for the American football games, it's 80,000 seated. 
So you've got to ask yourself if you know have they fit fitted in twenty three thousand seats on the pitch? Yeah, but you also have to take in consideration then that they have to section off an entire side of the arena to put the giant screen up because obviously they're not going to be selling seats behind the screen. Yeah, um, and also WWE being notorious for over exaggerating. You can probably just transplant those like twenty thousand seats that they lose from the screen onto the ground and just say it's roughly the same amount of people that you're going to be seating. Give or take a couple thousand, obviously, but I mean, it's one of those things we'll just, we'll never really know. They can uh, say whatever they want. They don't have to make this uh, information known to the public if they don't want to. They can just, they can fudge the numbers. No one's going to, I mean, it's not like AT&T Stadium's going to confront them and say like, hey, there actually wasn't this many, because it looks good for them that they can have a fucking 130,000 people in their arena. So 103,000 people in the arena seeing what a fantastic race of WrestleMania. I'm actually really intrigued about next week because I have not rewatched anything from WrestleMania season 32. So I've I've rewatched the Raw and I've rewatched the Sami Zayn Nakamura match from Dallas uh, Takeover. Yeah, well, I, I haven't rewatched I'm... any part of WrestleMania. I'm telling a lie actually because I did rewatch the Raw post WrestleMania. Um, mm-hmm. I'm interested to see how how it all goes and how it all pans out. So uh, I'll be looking forward to next week. Yeah, so uh, join us for that then. So that'll do it for uh, our WrestleMania 2 review here from uh, John and Nathan. So see you guys for the... uh, What was the tagline for WrestleMania 32? There wasn't one? There wasn't. We were convinced that they would use Everything's Bigger in Texas because they haven't done it, but they Mm -hmm. didn't. It was, right, Wrestle- case, it was WrestleMania, my house. In that case, well, then join us next time for WrestleMania Star. <laughs> <laughs>